When I was about nine, I vaguely remember getting dressed in a very uncomfortable outfit with a tie, being dragged along to church, sitting through a very long service. During the service, I remember there being a very long line that began at the back of the church and kind of snaked its way to the front of the church. And at the end of that line was uh, some daughters, some sons, a wife, and next to them was a box. And inside that box was a man. And this was the first time in my young life I'd really been confronted with death. And it in turn made me think of some, some, some dark things. Like as a kid, I, I won't be on this earth one day. A funeral really has the ability to illuminate the brevity of life. It can confuse a nine-year-old, but it can wake up somebody who is mature and enforce, or in turn, force us to contemplate very deep things as a human being. Life is short. What if, what if that was me? I know many of you are getting to the age, I'm getting to the age, where I'm seeing people that I love and care for pass away. And every time I think, like, what if, what if, what if that was, was me? What am I doing with my life right now? Am I using my limited time wisely? Some see the very transient nature of life and they, they fall into despair. I guess it really doesn't matter what I do. If life is so short, if life is but a breath, who, who really cares what I, I do? You've seen uh, the social media posts that are going, carpe diem, seize the day, ride a bucket list, do those sort of things. Uh, I've heard this one before. Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Isn't that sweet? How do the people of God respond to the transient nature, the fleeting nature of life? Like a funeral, Psalm 90 confronts us with the the fleeting nature of our existence. But it also shows us how we might respond to it faithfully. It's a community lament written by Moses, which is interesting for a psalm, with some sort of unspecified disaster as its background. So please open up your Bibles to Psalm 90. What translation do you guys use here? Do you have any specific... Well, the whatever translation, uh, the, the W-T translation. Um, I, I'm using the ESV. Uh, if you want to follow along on, on a phone, or, or, or it's going to be pretty similar translation to translation. I always tell my people, man, this will be way more fun if you have God's word in front of you. It'll be way more engaging. Uh, it'll stick with your soul a little bit better if you have God's word in front of you. If you want to take some notes, you can. Um, Just don't draw mean pictures of me or anything like that. Uh, But look at verse 1, Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our refuge in all generations. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You've been our refuge from generation, from generation. He builds on that from everlasting to everlasting. He says, before the mountains were made, you were there. We're seeing temporal phrases everywhere. And he's painting a very big picture 
of an everlasting, infinite, great God. The question is why? Why is he painting such a big picture of God in these first two verses? Uh, do we have any climbers in the room? Anybody who likes climbing big mountains? And there, there's still nothing. You, you climb up a big mountain that overlooks the continental divide. If you've, if you've ever done that, I'm not a climber. I've done it before and I'm good to never do it again. It just doesn't feel good uh, going up the whole mountain. I'd rather drive or take the cog rail uh, up the mountain. Uh, but when you get to the top of the mountain and you overlook the continental divide, there's, there's something you say, especially if you're a Christian, you say to yourself, man, God is big. God is, God is powerful. He created all of this by just, he spoke it into existence. That's how big and powerful God is. And what generally comes with that sort of sense of God's splendor? A sense of our insignificance. I am small. God's big. I am not. Look at verse three. You return Man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. This is what God says about man. We see illustration after illustration, God, you are everlasting forever. We are not. We came from dust. We're going to return to it. Under the authority of an all, almighty eternal God. In his presence, a thousand years are like a day or a watch, which was a four-hour period. Even if we live to be a thousand, it's, it's, it's a blip on time's radar. You sweep them away with the flood. This reminds me of being at the beach as a child. You'd build a sandcastle somewhat close to the shore, but as the tide rises, what happens? Your sandcastle is quickly swept away. You try to build it back up. It is quickly swept away. We are like a dream. Do you remember the dream you had last week? No, because it's fleeting, and so are you. <laughs> I had a, like, like a plant, we sprout in the morning, and by evening we die. I had a battle with a vine weed. I didn't know this existed until I moved to Colorado. It was called Creeping Charlie. Do you guys know what Creeping Charlie is? Um, what'd you say? They bite. <laughs> so there's, there's, it's a vine weed, and I would spend all night pulling it up, and then in the morning it would sprout anew. But guess what? Those suckers didn't last long in my yard. They'd quickly sprout. They'd quickly die. In the morning, they flourish. By the evening, they, they wither and they fade away. Have you gotten the point? <laughs> Life is, is brief. It's fleeting. We're a drop in the giant river of time. God, God is everlasting. Our lives are but a breath. For, for Moses, life is transient. And what we see next, it's also tough. Life is hard. Look at verse 7 through 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. 
They are soon gone and we, we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In a melancholy mood, driven by some sort of distress, Moses sees this life as full of sorrow, spent under God's anger, for there's no sin hidden from him. And, and what does sin cause? Death and misery. See Romans. See Genesis. We may get to be 70 or 80 years old, but because of sin, even those years are tough. They fly away. And at the end of it all, we just let out a tired, <sighs> super uplifting, right? <laughs> I do not want Moses, at least at this point in, in Psalm 90, speaking at my, uh, my funeral. <laughs> and I wanted to bum everybody out. And he concludes with this short life. Who, who fears you? Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who really takes you all in and fears you? And the answer is no one. So Moses has given us a very depressing, somber portrayal of the brevity of life. And it's okay if scripture at times moves you to humility moves you to mourn how short this life is. But the question is, is how do we respond? In despair, you know, why do anything at all? If life is short and it's, it's spent like this, you know, why do anything? Why, why obey God? Why, why, sir, why just not do what I want? Mark Twain says, life is short. Break the rules. Forgive quickly. Kiss slowly. Love truly. Laugh uncontrollably. And never regret anything that makes you smile. It's the seize the day sort of mentality we see on Facebook. Which, little side note here, the average person, this is crazy. Uh, you may not be an average person. You're above average. I can tell that. Uh, but the average person spends about 20 years of their life on the internet. So the same people who write seize the day on their Facebook post are spending a quarter of their life not seizing the day. They're just on the, just a little goofy side note there. So how does Moses respond to a life that is transient? He seeks the grace of a God who is not a God who is everlasting. And for the rest of this passage, we're going to see petition after petition after petition. Moses desires a great outpouring of God's grace. If life is short, God, we need you. We need you to make sense out of it. We need you how to approach every single day. We need you. Look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. What a verse in scripture to live by each and every morning. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. This perspective, teach us, it's, it's a gift from God and it's not about simple arithmetic. It's the type of numbering Help me number my days so that I can have a heart of, of wisdom. And we all know that wisdom isn't just intellectual. It's a heart that desires to please God and walk with him. 
Teach me to number my days so that I can practically live righteously in light of the short time you have given me on earth. Help me to make the most of our limited days so we can be faithful. It's a, it's a biblical carpe diem. It's a biblical seize the day. We don't seize the day for pleasure. We seize the day by, by loving and serving and, and following our Lord. I drive a pastor's car. It's a Honda 2002, a Honda Accord. Uh, the, the lights don't work. It has hail damage. Uh, me and Terry bonded over motorcycles. It's the only reason I have a motorcycle is because I took the insurance. Instead of fixing my car, I got a motorcycle, and we, hey, we're brothers now. And, uh, but it's a pastor's car. I filled up my car the other day, and I spent about $713 filling up my gas tank. And, uh, and so it is, gas is very expensive. Even still right now, it's not what it was. So, so many of us, we're not, we're not just driving around wasting gas. Maybe, I mean, if you're rich, great, you may be. I'm not, so we're, we're not taking leisurely vacations all the time just wasting gas because it's so expensive. What if the president said, uh, you know, your gas is limited for the rest of your life. You have, a, you have 100 gallons each. For the rest of your life. That's my really terrible Joe Biden impression as well. But you get 100 gallons for the rest of your life. Would you waste that gas? No. You wouldn't just drive to Sonic just to get some ice cream. You wouldn't just joyride around Castle Rock. You'd be, you'd be very careful. Because you know that gas is limited. In the same way, knowing our days are numbered will result in us living out our days wisely. This perspective is a gift taught by God. If life is transient, you're going to hear me say this over and over again, seek the grace of a God who is not. We have another petition in verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Lord, we are sinful in our short life and wasted under your wrath. Have mercy. Show us mercy. Have mercy on your people. He seeks grace again in 14 and 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for many years as we have seen evil. Each morning, through grace, deeply satisfy us with your steadfast love so that we may be glad every precious day of our life. We spend so much of our short lives on this earth trying to find satisfaction and things that will not last. Yet we see hope here that in our short lives we can experience a joy that will last. It's not a not a Snickers joy or a potato chip sort of I eat it, I think I'm full and I'm not sort of joy. It's lasting joy. We see the petitions climax in 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, through grace, show us your mighty deeds. Let our children see those mighty deeds at work and establish our work, work that will endure. God's work will last.
into eternity. And God's work that he establishes through your hand will last into eternity. God's work will stab, that he establishes through us will, will last. Yes, yes, life is transient, but God can use us to accomplish things that echo into eternity. I love the local, the local church because the work of God pursued here has eternal significance. The ministry that you do for the sake of other people, for other people, can impact eternity, other people's eternal destinies. The work you do in your neighborhood, loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor, caring for those in need, that can have an eternal impact. A thousand years from now, Somebody may walk up to you and go, hey, you, you didn't know you did this, but, but thank you for planting that seed in my life. It's, it's the reason I'm here right now. So when we talk about God establishing the work of our hands, he can establish it in a way that lasts. And so in his entire response, Moses turns to God seeking grace to know how little time we have and how to live in light of it, to live under God's favor, to experience lasting joy in a short life and to be a part of something that endures. If life is transient, seek the grace of a God who is not. Does not our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ speak to these things? The ability to to live wisely comes from abiding in Jesus Christ. Mercy comes through what? Trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that his blood covers our sins. Our hearts get a taste of satisfaction and deep relationship with Jesus who provides living water, who is the bread of life. The work we take part in by following Jesus will last. And because of Jesus, most importantly, we know that this short life isn't it. Yet, it matters. It matters, young or old. It, it matters. This, this psalm should, should wake you up. I work with young people all, all the time, and, 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 I, and I know you have young people in your life. Encourage them to fight the idea that tomorrow is guaranteed, and 30 years from now is a long way off. <laughs> because guess what? Tomorrow isn't guaranteed, And time has this funny way of slipping away. I'm 41 years old. You may be like, you look a lot older than that. It's because of church planting. I had a big, nice black beard when I started, and it's all gray right now. I feel like yesterday I was in high school. I feel like my life is but a dream. And I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be in my junior year. I had hair. I could run. I was good looking. Um, I mean, it, I, it feel, and time has, I just wake up. I'm like, how? I, my kids are getting older. How did I get here? Time flies. Time, time flies. I encourage young people to, To count your days now, give yourself to God's enduring work now, seek mercy now, and in a world that promises to give you short-lived satisfaction, find lasting joy in Christ. Don't 
worry or don't wait, don't wait, don't wait because tomorrow quickly becomes yesterday. The stage of life I'm in right now, I'm young to some, I'm old to others. (laughs) My life is, is filled with kids, sports, activities, pumpkin patches, you know, plays, musicals, and musicals. My kid, he bangs on a mallet. <laughs> I mean, but we're, we're, my life is, it's like a sped up version of Groundhog's Day. My life is. So I need to learn to count my days. I need to value things like discipleship, things, discipleship with my kids, discipleship with other, with other youth in, in this area. I need to value time with my wife and, and love her and not let that time slip, slip away. I need to invest in the local church, God's people. I need to invest in, in God's mission and make time to, to make disciples of all nations and not on things that are not going to matter in our next life. I need to seek mercy and not find satisfaction in my job performance or what kind of car I drive, but in Jesus Christ alone. For the long-lived, for the experienced, God is not done with you. God's not done with you. I spoke with an older pastor who said that many of those who are reaching Uh, the age of retirement, go on to struggle with feeling worthless. I have nothing to contribute. I'm no good. I can't really help anybody. I did my time. (laughs) These kind of people maybe take up an obscure hobby to to pass the time and ultimately coast on fumes till, till death. In John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, which was a formative book of, of my youth, He writes, I'll tell you what tragedy is. I'll show you how to waste your life. He says, consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, Piper said. A spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your only one and precious life, God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Lord, Lord, see my shells? This is a tragedy, he writes. And people today are spending billions and billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over and against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. I love, I've always worked in mixed generation churches. I don't want to be a church that's just full of young people who have yet to develop common sense or, uh, you know, are all dressing way cooler than I dress. Um, I love being in a congregation 
with people who are younger than me and people who are older than me. But, but I'll tell you what, I love seeing older men and women who are seasoned in life and ministry, who no one would blame if they sat out the last quarter of their life still seeking grace and mercy, still finding joy in Jesus and investing in things that matter. Yeah, their days may be fewer, but they are still counting them. It doesn't matter if you're eight. It doesn't matter if you're 80. Life is short. And if our time on this earth is transient and fleeting, seek the grace of a God who is not. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.